0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Palm Sunday. It's so good to see all of you. Thank you for being here this morning, for worshiping with us, and as we enter into this really significant week in, uh, in the life of our faith, at a week where we celebrate Jesus' coming to Jerusalem, everything that transpires leading up to his betrayal and his arrest, the low point of his crucifixion on Friday, followed by the high point of his resurrection that we celebrate next Sunday. And it's such a privilege and a joy uh, to be able to do that together in person, in community. Again, something that we do not want to take for granted. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our teaching series for the season leading up to Easter entitled Signs of Life, uh, where we are exploring the seven signs that Jesus performed that are recorded for us in the Gospel of John And what each one of those reveals about Jesus' identity as the Messiah, as well as the invitation that each one extends to us to believe into Jesus and experience life in him both today and for eternity. Now our journey you might remember started back in Cana when Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding reception gone bad. Next he healed a royal official's son as a sign of the power of his word. Then he healed a paralytic as a sign of his authority over the Sabbath. Then he fed 5,000 people as a sign of his provision. Then he walked on water as a sign of his power over nature. And then last week, Jake very thoughtfully took us through the story of Jesus's healing of the man born blind, which was a sign of the light that Jesus was bringing into the world. And now this morning on this Palm Sunday, we come to the last of these seven signs that John records, which is the story of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the tomb, which was a sign, not surprisingly, of life. If you'd like to join me in the scriptures this morning, you can turn or tap your way to John chapter 11, which is our text for this morning. Now, this story is spans 45 verses in its entirety, and so full disclosure... We're going to be zooming in on certain portions and summarizing others to try to make the most of the time that we have today. So we're going to start at verse 4 of John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 4. And as always, you're welcome to follow along with the text on the screens behind me here in the auditorium and on the courtyard as well, in the courtyard as well, if you prefer to do that. Now, as John chapter 11 opens, we immediately learn that a man named Lazarus, who was the brother of Mary and Martha is sick. And his sisters send word of his illness to Jesus. And John chapter 11, verse 4 says that when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, something that we have seen repeatedly over the course of our series is how many of these sign stories begin with responses from Jesus that feel obtuse. And we see that again here as Jesus responds to this news about Lazarus being sick. Jesus responds by telling the disciples that Lazarus' sickness was for God's glory and more specifically, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, while on one level, what Jesus says here is certainly helpful for Lazarus in terms of the final outcome, but at the same time, it doesn't really seem to match the nature of the news that's been sent. And especially... Uh, given that detail that John includes in verse 5 about Jesus' love for Martha and her sister and Lazarus, which is immediately followed by the text telling us that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days before going to Lazarus. And so there's not a lot of urgency, seemingly, on Jesus' part here, especially given this love John tells us that he has for this particular family. Jesus' response feels very detached. However, as we've seen repeatedly throughout the series, Jesus's actions are always governed not by, or never governed by human timelines and expectations. Fact, Jesus's actions are never governed by human timelines and expectations. Instead, they're governed by his father and his father's mission. And so given that, two days after hearing the news about Lazarus, Jesus says to the disciples. Let's go back to Judea. And let's just say that those words, let's go back to Judea, uh, would not have sounded anything like, let's go to Disneyland for the disciples. And that's because on their previous visit to Judea, the Jewish leaders had tried to stone Jesus. And so Judea was not a destination that was filled with fond memories of main street parades and and oversized lollipops and, uh, and characters. To the contrary, It was a place that the disciples were not eager to visit again at all. It was far from the happiest place on earth for the disciples. And then, you know, the fact that that Jesus had told the disciples that Lazarus was asleep and that he was going there to wake him up gave the disciples some hope that maybe this trip to this place that they weren't looking forward to going wasn't actually necessary. Verse 12 says his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I was stricken with one of the nasty non-COVID colds that's been circulating around of late. It started in on me on Friday and uh, knocked me down hard enough that I went to bed that night at 8.30. And then on Saturday, I woke up feeling well enough to proceed with my day as normal until the mid-afternoon when I completely ran out of gas and crashed. And that Saturday, I got into bed at three o'clock in the afternoon didn't get out of bed until eight on Sunday morning. And I woke up that Sunday morning feeling so much better after all of that sleep. And amazingly was well enough to make it to church. But but when we are sick, sleep plays a huge role in the healing process. And so the disciples here are not wrong about that. The only problem was that Jesus was not talking about waking Lazarus up from sleep in a literal sense. John chapter 11, verse 13 says, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Jesus reveals there that Lazarus is not actually asleep, he's dead. And so this journey that they are about to embark on is important and it's important for reasons that transcend Lazarus's physical condition, for reasons that transcend Lazarus's health. It's important, Jesus tells the disciples, because this is going to be yet another opportunity for them to believe into him. It's gonna be another opportunity for them to believe more deeply into Jesus. And so Jesus and the disciples set off for Bethany. And John chapter 11, verse 17 says that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And so Jesus arrives on the scene here in Bethany and immediately enters into this scene of tremendous suffering and everything about John's description in these verses emphasizes the fact that Jesus is late. Everything about John's description here emphasizes the fact that Jesus is late. Lazarus has already been in the tomb for 4 days and the public mourning that has accompanied his death is already well underway by the time that Jesus arrives. And John says that when Lazarus's sister Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him while he was still on his way. Look at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so we see there that as Martha comes out to meet Jesus, she's unable to hide her disappointment. She is unable to hide her disappointment that Jesus didn't make it in time. However, at the same time that she expresses that disappointment, she also expresses this incredible sense of faith. She says in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, for as much as that English translation might might sound like it, Martha is not expecting Jesus to perform a miracle to save her brother here. That the Jews believed that the soul of a dead person departed after three days. And this was day four. And so, in Martha's mind, Lazarus was dead. But what she is expressing is that even now, even after Jesus being late and showing up after Lazarus' death, even now, in the midst of her disappointment that Jesus didn't arrive in time, she's saying that she still believes in him. And Martha still believes that God works mightily in her friend, Jesus. And look at Jesus' response to her in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And that response from Martha reflects a belief that was held by some Jews in the first century, a belief in a corporate resurrection for all of God's people that would come in the future. A corporate resurrection that would come, as Martha refers to there, on the last day. The day when God's kingdom would come on earth as it was in heaven and God would renew the entire world and remove all suffering and death. That's what Martha's thinking about when she says, when Jesus says your brother will rise again. But once again, Jesus has something else entirely in mind. Now, as we have been looking at these seven signs in John's gospel, we've noted that what's more important than the signs themselves are their significance, and more important than the signs, the miracles themselves in John's gospel are their significance. And up to this point, all of these stories have started with the sign itself, like the turning of the water into wine, or the healing of the paralytic, or the walking on the water, or the feeding of the 5,000. They've all started with the sign itself, and then the significance of the sign is, emerges in the aftermath. But for this final sign, interestingly enough, all of that happens in reverse. The significance of this sign is shared not after the miracle happens, but before starting here with what, the sign, what this sign that Jesus is going to do reveals about his identity. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. And with that proclamation, Jesus reveals to Martha that resurrection is not just a doctrine. I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is not just a doctrine. It has a face and a name. Resurrection and the life that emerges from it has a face and a name, and that name is Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But Jesus is also revealing something here really significant about this life that comes with resurrection, about this life that he gives. And remember, the word that's translated at life as life in these verses is the word that John uses throughout his gospel. It's the Greek word zoe, which refers to life that is eternal and infinite. And so Jesus is talking about eternal life here. And with that in mind, look again at verse 25. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And do you see what Jesus is doing there? The one who believes into me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing into me will never die. Jesus is revealing that the promise of the resurrection, the promise of Zoe life, eternal life, is not something that's just lodged in a future event. It's something that's available now. That the one who believes into me will live now, in the present, even though they're going to die in the future. And so the Zoe life that Jesus brings is not just something in the future, it's something that very much has a present tense dimension to it it begins now and it extends beyond the grave Jesus reveals that eternal life begins now and extends beyond the grave and it's available by believing into Jesus which is precisely what Jesus invites Martha to do here in verse 26 Jesus says do you believe this Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And of the faith and the confidence that Martha expresses in Jesus there, in the face of her brother's death, it's nothing short of extraordinary. She confesses her belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God which, incidentally, is precisely John's hope for everyone who hears his gospel. John says later in chapter 20, verse 11, that these stories that we have are written so that you may believe, what? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Right? That's like a snapshot of what we're seeing here in John chapter 11. And so John's hope is that all of us would believe into Jesus in the very same way that Martha does here. She is the archetype of what it looks like to believe into Jesus and to believe in his identity as the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, after this, Martha went off to tell her sister Mary that Jesus wanted to see her. And John chapter 11, verse 32 says that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing that her sister said. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And I love that picture that John gives us there of Jesus' humanity. Jesus feels the power of death that he is witnessing all around him. He sees how heartbroken Mary is at her loss and he enters into her hurt and enters into her sorrow and weeps with her. And then, against that backdrop, against the backdrop of the power of death and all of the hurt and the pain that it inflicts, Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Now Martha protests Jesus' command here because again, John repeats it for us, it's been four days. It's too late. Lazarus is dead. The body reeks now. But of course, as we know with hindsight, God is never late. God is never late. He only appears to be late based on our timetable and our expectations. But God is never late. The almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe is never late. John chapter 11, verse 40 says, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus's prayer here really reflects the communion that he has with God. God is already gonna do this, This is so that God gets the credit. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so Jesus, after the stone is rolled away, prays to his father, calls Lazarus, by name, and Lazarus hears the voice of the good shepherd and comes out. And while that image of Lazarus, still wrapped in the burial clothes, makes the hold that death had had on him concrete, his emergence from the tomb animates Jesus' promise that life for the one who believes into him is something that we experience both right now and for eternity. Lazarus' emergence from the tomb animates that present tense dimension of eternal life. And everything about this story, as John tells it, everything from the grief And the loss that John so intentionally highlights all the way to Lazarus' resurrection is such a poignant reminder for us this morning of what a precious gift that life is. And this story is a poignant reminder for us of what a precious gift life is. Just about exactly two years ago now, my older brother went through a series of health events that would rival even the most dramatic script for the TV show, Grey's Anatomy. It started with a minor heart attack, followed by a major stroke the next day, followed by a massive heart attack a week later from which he had to be resuscitated, followed by another cardiopulmonary arrest after a stent was placed in one of his arteries after which he had to be resuscitated. And in the lived experience of of walking alongside him Through all of that and even more, brought an entirely new meaning for me, both to resurrection and to what a precious gift the people who we love are. I mean, it was a real perspective changer. And this story of Lazarus' resurrection here in John chapter 11 really invites all of us, I think, into that same thing. It's an invitation for us to appreciate and to see what a precious gift relationships are. What a precious gift the life, the eternal life that we experience through those relationships is. Uh, Dean Smith, who was my longtime colleague and Highway Cone founder, always used to say that there were two things in life that were eternal, God and people. And that's a really important reminder of the reality that one of the ways that we experience Zoe life, one of the ways that we experience eternal life in the present as Jesus is talking about it here is through one another, It's through the gift of relationships. And I'm guessing, I'm just guessing, I'm guessing today that probably all of us have some relationships that need resurrecting Uh, because if for no other reason, the pandemic really put us in the tomb, relationally speaking, in so many different ways. But my guess is that all of us have some relationships that need resurrecting. And so as we consider what it means this morning on this Palm Sunday to experience the eternal life that Jesus gives us today and then to see the gift of life that our relationships are in that context, How might God be inviting you to resurrect a relationship this morning? How might God be inviting you to resurrect a relationship? Now maybe there is a relationship with a family member or a relative or a friend that for some reason, maybe the chaos of the pandemic or the busyness of life or the lack of physical proximity has just gone dormant maybe there's someone who who God has been bringing to your mind who you've been thinking about or reminded of or or wondering about or haven't seen or heard from in a while maybe it's a relationship with a with a family member or a friend that's broken for some reason and you're sensing God's invitation to reconcile but who is God's spirit placing on your heart this morning? Who's God's spirit placing on your heart this morning? And let me encourage you, reach out, send a text, make a call, meet for lunch or coffee because the people who we love are precious gifts. May we lean into this gift of eternal life that Jesus gives us now through the precious gift of the people who God has surrounded us with. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of this story, this final sign. A story that really prepares us for the resurrection of Jesus himself next Sunday, but at the same time, has so much to say to us about Jesus, Jesus's identity as the giver of life and the life that he came to bring and what it looks like for us to experience that life here and now. And we thank you God for the gift of, the way that John narrates this story for all of the things that through the inspiration of your spirit are highlighted and emphasized for us to see. And we thank you, Father, for the reminder through the loss of Lazarus, the hurt and the pain and the grief of death, and then the joy of resurrection. We're we're grateful, God, for the reminder of, of what a gift eternal life is. And for the way that Lazarus is walking out of that tomb reminds us of the present tense element to that. Martha sees the promise that Jesus made to her come to life before her very eyes. And we're grateful, Father, for the gift that you give to all of us, that you are the shepherd who knows each one of our names and we know your voice. We thank you for the gift of life that you give to all of us now. Would you help us to see and appreciate that and to lean into the experience of it? Father, that we might not take the present tense dimension to life through the people that you have surrounded us with for granted in any way, but that we would lean in and experience all that you have for us through the people who you have surrounded us with. Would you give us open hearts, God, courage in some cases to reach out? And would you help us to see, God, the precious gift that you have given us in people that mirrors the precious gift that you have given us in your son, Jesus. We love you, Father. We thank you for the gift of this story today. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. Amen.